What is going on, everyone? Maiko back, finally, with another episode of Hobby Talk. It has been a long, long hiatus. Six months or so, six months plus. I apologize for that. Thrilled to be back. Thrilled to finally have one of everyone's favorite guests back. Wesker Griff joins me for the first time since October of 2020. Edward, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. This will mark my fifth appearance, actually, on the podcast. And I, as we were talking about before recording, I'm, I was shocked to find out that the last time I was on was in 2020. So, so much has changed since then in the hobby and and kind of where we are in life. So, really looking forward to discussing a, a bunch of different topics in this episode. Yeah, it's been uh, far too long. The hobby has had drastic changes over the last several years, really even in the last year, really in the last six months since I I did an episode. Things are just changing and evolving, and they always do, but it just seems more dramatic now, and there's just so much to talk about. This could easily be a five-hour episode, but neither Ed or myself have that kind of time, so we will try and get to as much as possible, just have kind of a casual conversation, but some topics we will be discussing, at least to some degree during this episode. Super Bowl 56 is set. The Los Angeles Rams will be taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. Not a Super Bowl many people had predicted. Certainly not one many were expecting, but it's here. Two teams that have played their way, come from behind, found a way to reach the Super Bowl. So that should be a fun game to uh, watch and kind of root on and see how things evolve and see what kind of impact there is in the hobby. Tom Brady looks like a retirement announcement is imminent. Nothing actually official. I see uh, some news outlets or people posting on Twitter official. I don't think it's official until there's a press conference or a press release from the player, but all indications are that a 22-year career is coming to an end. Major League Baseball still in a lockout. Definitely disappointing. Starting to get a little anxious. What kind of impact will that have? To baseball fans and, of course, on the hobby. Hall of Fame, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, was recently announced. Plus, we had the Veterans Committee in the last month or so, too. So we'll touch on that. Just the market, the state of grading, and maybe even look back on and towards the National from 2021 and 2022. Fanatics, tops, none of this stuff was kind of in our sight of line uh, during the previous episode. And things have changed in a crazy way since I last talked to Ed. So, Ed, finally, we're back. We're talking. We're chatting. Super Bowl 56. Did you have a futures bet on Rams, Bengals, and the Super Bowl? No. I want to know who had – did anyone have that? I, I I mean, that is a very – I don't think anyone had that. That was very unlikely, uh, the Bengals and the Rams, uh, both of those teams – their, their odds were pretty, pretty high. So if anyone picked those teams, they might have a nice payday coming their way. But uh, I think it's it's cool. I'm actually kind of excited for the Super Bowl since it's two teams we normally don't see. So uh, there's definitely going to be a, fan, a starving fan base that's going to get rewarded, especially Cincinnati. I feel like those I, – I feel in particular those fans <laughs> haven't had much to cheer for in a really long time. Uh, the Rams moving to Los Angeles. Uh, they've been there a couple years, but you know, it's cool to see different teams in there. Matthew Stafford. Uh, I know he has a lot of fans. A lot of Lions fans are still following him pretty hardcore, and 
Uh, it's nice to see him do well. And then you have Joe Barrow, who I feel like the hobby kind of wrote off a little bit uh, after he got injured last year. But uh, he had a tremendous season, and uh, he's in the Super Bowl now. So I'm actually really excited for the Super Bowl. I think it should be a good game. I'm curious. I mean, we're recording this where the lines aren't even out yet. So I don't even know what the spreads are going to be. I imagine the Rams are probably going to be favored since it's at their home stadium. Well, I did uh, look but, up the lines. So do you want to take a guess on that line? Guess the lines. We're, we're now a gambling show here on Hobby Talk <laughs> with Blaco. I'm going to say it's two and a half. The lo- opening line I saw from our friends over at uh, Parks Sportsbook was Rams by three and a half. Three and a half favorite uh opening oh i'm gonna have to make a visit <laughs> i'm gonna have to make a visit because i'll go with the bengals well the I'll super bowl the is almost like a, now yeah. now that it's streamlined and legal in so many areas it's like the super bowl is like a must like anything like even if you put i don't know something on the over under or pick a player that you think will go off i feel like you got to have some kind of action going on that game but it it definitely is an interesting matchup uh, i thought the niners would uh you know it's interesting with the way both championship games played out cuz we saw two come from behind victories uh the Bengals really shocked i think a lot of people including the Chiefs not just that they won the game but they won when being down 21 to 3 and really the Chiefs kind of fell asleep in the second half their offense did next to nothing uh and then the Niners looked like they were in a commanding spot 17-7 halfway through the third quarter and next thing you know Rams inch closer Rams tie it Rams take the lead and really the 49ers last drive were just kind of three bad plays in a row they went nothing but backwards into the opposite team so I mean does this Super Bowl come down to who's behind halfway through the third quarter do you jump on you know one of your apps and do some live betting on the team that's down by 10 points because that seems the way be the way things are going but it, it should be fun i agree uh the bengals looking to win their first super bowl it's their first time in the super bowl since 1988 most people including myself really have no memory of seeing the bengals play in a super bowl really playing in big games let alone the super bowl rams have been there a few times 99 against the titans one of the all-time classic super bowls 2001 against the patriots the beginning of the patriot dynasty the reign of tom brady uh that was another fantastic game and then they played New England, what, about three years ago? But that was that was a fun game if you're a defensive fan, which most people aren't. Most of your casual NFL fans love the offense and the fireworks and the lead changes. But that game was a 13-3 game. So especially coming off the Eagles-Patriots kind of scoring fest, a lot of people saw that as a little bit of a letdown of a game. But they're back, and the Rams are really different. They've added a lot of pieces. They've kind of gone all in. They've traded tons of draft picks. They don't have a first-round pick for the next few years. And Matthew Stafford, they brought him in. They went in. They made the big trade. And he has a chance to you know, kind of solidify his career, to win that ring uh, that he really never had the opportunity to win with the Lions. So, I mean, what kind of impact? Uh, obviously, I'd assume it's a positive impact regardless, especially for the next two weeks. But, like... Do you think it matters more one way or the other between Matt Stafford, Joe Burrow, in terms of their the love they'll get in the hobby? Should they pull off this win and you know impro- win the Super Bowl? You know, in kind of an improbable season, not at least based on the last few weeks, what people expected. 
definitely going to be interesting to see how the hobby handles it from the from both these quarterbacks because I feel like you know we're I'm not the biggest football guy I I I like I big football fan I buy football cards I I buy my Eagles uh, but I will say that. I'm not particularly sure how the hobby will react to Stafford or Burrow because I feel like those guys haven't really been hyped up a lot uh, in the hobby. And even though Stafford was having an incredible season, I think he was in the MVP running at one point where he was in the top three or top five. Uh, He wasn't really getting any pub in the hobby. Uh, Joe Burrow, I know, when he went down last year, like, People were jumping off the ship quickly. And then uh, the last couple of weeks, every time the Bengals, like I know when the Bengals beat the Raiders, everyone's like, okay, time to dump all your Joe Barrow cards. Like, so I feel like the majority of people don't are, are not really high on either quarterback. So it'll, I'll just be curious to see what the overall, I, I guess, uh, uh, thoughts or feelings are going to be within the hobby overall on both those guys. But, uh, uh, I mean, everyone, I feel like all the investors or the, um, uh, the money people in the hobby, uh, they wanted the chiefs to win so badly and that did not happen. So, uh, be curious to see how things go. Yeah, they definitely took a beating on the uh, Mahomes pumps, you know, and there'll be plenty of time for that in the future. It doesn't look like he's going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, It is just interesting. Matt Stafford kind of has been buried for, you know, a decade plus because he was with the Lions and the Lions. No offense to Lions fans have been pretty irrelevant for a very long time. Occasionally they'll reach the playoffs and quickly exit the playoffs but he obviously has had a fantastic career so I think it's probably more important for him because he's closer to the end of the line uh Joe Burrow though he is number one pick definitely got a lot of hype last year he was one of the rookies people were chasing along with Tua and Herbert but Justin Herbert really like the hobby like focused and zeroed in on him and he just seemed to just overshadow Joe Burrow a lot and then even more so with the injury and then of course you get to this year and it's Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones and you know the other quarterbacks that uh were drafted so it is interesting there's not just football is just weird like I, I enjoy collecting some cards and I have fun like being able to buy players I remember growing up and um, players that were on big teams and not big names and you can get them really cheap and that's just what's interesting about football because the products are so expensive I mean hobby boxes are just completely unaffordable it makes baseball hobby boxes look and feel like they're free in comparison and <laughs> really like things that people are chasing really does come down to the quarterbacks of course like there's some guys like Aaron Donald future Hall of Famer like some of his rookies and parallels have some strong value guys like that but like it's just still not hyped uh Jamar Chase for the Bengals he's a rookie this year so I'm sure he'll have some hype and some value right now but will that hold up long term and really the Rams guys like Cooper Cup, I'm sure his rookies have some value. I actually pulled an autograph uh, rookie of his at an optic back in, I guess it was 2017, the year of Mahomes. I'd opened like three boxes 
that was probably the best card I got. I sold it. I probably got like $50, $60 at the time, which I don't regret because it was one of those I just wanted to get some money back for the product, and it wasn't something that really fit the collection. Of course, now that's probably like a $300 card, but it is what it is. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how much hobby hype you'll get uh, beyond the quarterbacks, but either way, I mean, football is hot, and it's going to be the main topic on sports radio, and it's going to be the main topic really around the hobby uh, for the next two weeks. Uh, especially with baseball being locked out. So it's going to certainly be fun. Definitely can't wait for the game. Should be really, really enjoyable. Totally agree. And the one thing I'll say on, the one thing I'll say, <laughs> circling back to the spreads or whatever, is a little side rant. You ever get annoyed when your coworkers like try to do the Super Bowl block pool? Is that the biggest colossal waste of money? Like I'd rather just I'd rather just do a prop bet. Or, I used to like the block pool at the one place I worked only because I won it a couple times. And I just, but but it can be frustrating because I still remember I actually was a gonna win either way. So Cardinals Steelers Super Bowl. Um, at this point, I I'd have to look it up when it was, but Cardinals Steelers. If the Cardinals scored a touchdown before the half and they were driving they were on like the 10 yard line or something if they scored a touchdown or if they settled for a field goal either way i was gonna win the half time block pool <laughs> and then warner got picked off oh god and i think it i actually think i was gonna win however it worked out with the pools i was actually gonna win if they didn't score or if they kicked a t- field goal or if they scored a touchdown like i was like a lock to win it and he threw the interception and it got returned 100 yards for a touchdown. I was so pissed. I was like, literally all you need to do is tackle him. So that drove me nuts. And I also lost another painful loss on a block pool. And it's amazing because I, I haven't done a lot of block pools in my life. Another really disappointing, uh, uh, a horrible loss was the second Giants-Patriots Super Bowl. Um, oh, God. They, the Patriots let the Giants score to go ahead. So that way they would have like a minute to try and hopefully score, which obviously didn't work out. But I think the Giants, I forget what happened. I think the Giants went for two and whatever they did, I can't remember at this point if they made it or missed it, but either way, like because they didn't make it or like I lost that block pool too. So not that it would have helped at all. Cause I was just pissed that and disappointed that new England had lost that Super Bowl, but at least like if I would have won like five hundred bucks, it would have <laughs> helped the sting a little bit, and like I lost yeah. because of whatever they did. So I do have some good memories because I have won a few times too, and some stinging losses in the block pool. But I haven't participated in a while. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the block pool. I've to anyone listening, don't do the block pool. Do a prop bet instead. I don't know. Pick pick whatever prop bet you want to pick, but. Man, One I'm of the fixed ones, the like the Gatorade. <laughs> Someone's got to know what color Gatorade they're using. <laughs> some of, some of the prop bets are so ridiculous. You could probably do a whole episode of the podcast about that, but we'll we'll have to probably move on. <laughs> we'll see how the ratings go. Maybe we'll have to transition into a uh, gambling gambling talk. All right, Ed. So we talk a lot about baseball on both your channel and my channel. We're definitely self-admittedly focused hobby-wise. 
because we're both football fans, but we focus a lot on the hobby on baseball. Um, But before we get to baseball, looks like the GOAT, Tom Brady, guy who's won you a lot of money over your life span. Um, Any uh, initial reactions to this uh, news that was reported yesterday? It hasn't really been confirmed. It's been somewhat refuted, but still everyone expects it to happen. Tom Brady, age 44, calling it quits, calling it a career, retiring, retiring kind of still on the top of his game, leading the league in touchdown passes, passing yards, leading an epic comeback. I mean, down 27 to three, fell short. Ultimately, they tied it, but the defense blew it at the end. Um, Any thoughts on Tom Brady calling it a career? Initially, I was shocked because he was almost the MVP this year. He might be the MVP runner up. I was going to say, he could theoretically win it because he had a decent yes. last week. It's not out of the question. I expect Rodgers will probably win it, but it's not. It's definitely not a lock. Yes. And I'm like, well, he's re- like, I was shocked initially. I'm like, no, nah, there's no way he's going to retire because he, he was the almost, almost the MVP. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I mean, it's not like he's cooked. It's not like he's like, you know, at the end of Peyton Manning's career, you're like, okay, Peyton, it's, it's time to hang it up. Like, it's good you're, you're or really Ben sh- Roethlisberger this year, yeah. he was kind of he got to be painful to watch. You're really struggling, but I mean, Brady's still he's putting up career highs. He's still at the top of his game, performing at an elite level. So, I kind of figured he still had maybe two more years left in the tank. Definitely at least one. Uh, but it's looking like he is going to retire. So then this then then this sadness kind of hits because of like, damn, like you're so used to seeing Tom Brady uh, out there all the time performing. And I'm not, I mean, I'm an Eagles fan. So I've had two tussles with Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. One went our way, one didn't. Uh, But I've never understood the hate that he gets uh, because the dude is just great. I mean, he just dominates and he's always consistent. I mean, he's always been there. And it was cool to see him go to Tampa Bay and get a get a ring there. I mean, because, you know, a lot was made of how he's, oh, he only wins because of the system. But he went down to Tampa Bay and he got his ring. Uh, always great watching him. I mean, you got to respect the greatness. The man always found a way to win. And like Mike was alluded to, I can't think of any Republican or Democratic president that had, I mean, I can't think of any elected official. Tom Brady has them beat and given away free money. Tom Brady's the king of giving away free money to people every single week for years. And uh, that's, it's going to be sad that he's going, he's riding into the sunset. I did see some statistic today. I think it was on Twitter and it showed like some, whatever his record was against the spread. Like if you would have bet on Tom Brady, every game of his career, how much you'd be up, like you'd be up some astronomical number, but that's the way it goes. But it is definitely, uh, it, it didn't shock me only because I've been seeing and kind of feeling that this was a possibility over the last few weeks. There's been a lot of, uh, some rumblings and such, uh, I know he had mentioned he wanted to play to 45. He mentioned that years ago. People said he was nuts five, seven years ago. I want to play to him 45. Uh, and he is signed through his age 45 season. But at the same time, his kids are getting older. 
I know his wife has, uh, I think, been on his case for years. And, like, I get it to a degree. And I do remember him a couple years ago, like, in an interview, like, kind of, it was after, um, it was after Kobe Bryant had passed away. And it's like, it was like something about, you know, you, you can't, you know, take like old age and stuff for granted, which, which is of course true. You got to live your life. And I think, you know, I think if it was up to him and he was a single, didn't have kids in his life, I think he would certainly play a few more years. And I think he's quite capable of it. And he showed that this year, but I think he's probably just taken a look and said, you know what? An NFL season, six months long. If you're playing like Tom Brady into the postseason, often deep into the postseason, it becomes seven months or more. Uh, and then you factor in training camp and all that. You know, you're really looking at like a 10 month season. And then even in your time off, your off season, like you're training a ton of hours per day and stuff. So it really is demanding. Uh, and it's demanding for you, for the individual, but it, I'm sure it takes a toll on the family. So. I mean, you can't fault him. I see people say, why would he not retire? It's like, I don't know. Like, you're still awesome. Like, you literally won a Super Bowl last year. You were one of the final eight teams this year. Easily, if the ball bounces your way one more time, you would have been in the final four. And like we had mentioned, he uh, was among the leaders uh, this year in so many categories, but an unbelievable career. Seven Super Bowl titles. 11 appearances, or was it 10 appearances? Insane numbers. All-time leader in passing touchdowns, yards, and his numbers are even crazier if you include the postseason. I mean, he was in like 15 championship games or something ridiculous. Um, and really, you could break it down. He had like three Hall of Fame careers. I mean, he's undoubtedly, he is the greatest player of all time in football. It's like, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, some, at least nowadays, there's like a real handful, you know, that, thinks he's not but then again there's still people who are convinced the earth is flat so i might lose some <laughs> listeners for that too but like the point is like if you look with any sort of objectivity i mean the quarterback thing has not been a question for years and like it's a player like he is just ridiculous and the hobby shows that to to a degree too like his values are out of control and it's just like I wish I would have had it more years ago, but it always felt like he was a little expensive. But when you actually factor it in, and I think this is the problem now with the hobby um, in general, is everyone thinks everyone's going to be the best. So people overpay for prospects, rookies, guys who really haven't proven anything. And when you have a player who's a Hall of Famer, sometimes it's worth investing that money and you're going to enjoy it. And if you do need to make a sacrifice and move that out of your collection, you should be able to recover most if not all your money and potentially and oftentimes make money on it. And Tom Brady certainly is an example of that. I mean, thankfully I added a few rookies into the collection a number of years ago before they really exploded. Uh, but like, if you look at like some of his prism cards and his old like tops, Chrome refractors, I mean, we're talking about cards that used to be like 10, 15 bucks that are like two, $300 now. I mean, even a lot of his base cards, or five, ten, twenty bucks. I mean, maybe the super ultra modern stuff you can still get for a couple dollars, but his values are crazy, and I would expect them to not fluctuate a whole lot. They're going to rise with the kind of press and news here, and I think eventually they'll 
they'll taper off a little bit, but they'll still be high. People aren't going to be willing to give them away. Of course, when he reaches the Hall of Fame, there'll be a slight bump only because of interest of people being like, oh, yeah, let me look into this. But it's not like there's no question he's not getting in. Um, But it's just, I mean, I think I always look back and you kind of appreciate and you sometimes don't miss players until they're gone. And like even teams, too. I mean, I think that's imperative, right, to have good teams in your sport, to have a team to look up to. Like, listen, we're not going to necessarily go out and root for the Yankees, but, like, when you have the Yankees, like, you have something that you you strive to see your team be. You want them to be like one of those teams that are a household name that that's playing for championships, that's playing meaningful games year after year. And the same thing with players. And you can look back and, like, be like, damn, I miss watching Barry Sanders play. Man, I miss seeing this guy play and that guy play. So, I mean, I think when you uh, when you lose an all-time great and you don't get to watch him when you're used to, you grow accustomed to watching him, I think it definitely uh, takes a toll. But matter of fact is there are a ton of amazing young quarterbacks in the NFL, specifically in the AFC. So I think the league's in really good shape. And therefore, the hobby, the hobby interest is going to be in great shape as well. Well, I think Brady even held the record in the hobby. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in 2020, I believe, then he hold the record for the most expensive sports card ever sold. It was his, uh, I think it was his uh, on card autograph uh, from Contenders Playoff, wasn't it? Numbered out of 49. At the very least, it was definitely the most most expensive football card. But those numbers change so often when these big deals get moved or completed. So I'm not sure if that's still true, but. He's it's not still true. I, I I know the Wagner. I, I'm pretty sure the T206 on this Wagner uh, knocked him off again. But still, just to be even in that realm. But I mean, uh, like, look at it this it, way, too. Like, for you, right? You saw he broke your heart way back in, what, 2004 when... Yes, sir. Patriots defeated the Eagles in the Super Bowl. And then you had another crack. And listen... You would have been ecstatic either way, right? We both saw the Phillies defeat the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series. We didn't really care who they played. Um, It was super special, and it's a memory we carry with us to this day. But if you go back and imagine if Nick Foles and the Eagles defeated Blake Bortles and the Jaguars, who were that's who the Patriots beat in the AFC Championship that year, another come-from-behind victory. They're down 10 points in the fourth quarter. It would still be unbelievably special to you, and you wouldn't probably think of it this way because you'd just be like, oh, we still won the Super Bowl. But like, if you really compare like how much more special it is that the Eagles defeated the greatest quarterback of all time and a dynasty team, Bill Belichick and all that, at, as opposed to like beating the Jaguars and like Blake Bortles, oh, like then it would have been like, oh, cool, Nick Foles like won a Super Bowl against Blake Bortles, who's out of the league. <laughs> I definitely get what you're saying. Uh, I think that adds to just the, the the craziness that the that was for the Eagles that year because <laughs> wasn't that like when the matchup was set, everyone was like, yeah, they're definitely not going to beat the Patriots. I thought for sure that I'm like, yeah, they're probably just going to come up short. The, the magic's gonna gonna just evaporate against the Patriots and Tom Brady, but 
Dude, Tom Brady played an insane game. He threw for 500-plus yards against the Eagles. And the Eagles, Eagles fans was, like to rip him for, like, dropping yeah. that pass or whatever. But I'm like, dude, he torched your team. Like, the Patriots' defense was just actually somehow worse than the Eagles' defense was in that game. And and one of the one of their key receivers got hurt, too, in that game. Yeah, I think Patriots. Brandon Cooks got knocked out. Yes. Hobby Darlin, Hobby legend Brandon Cooks. Cooks so. to 99. <laughs> that, I mean, I know for, for for you and Patriot fans, it, it it wasn't a good game. But honestly, that's probably one of the all-time greatest games that I can ever recall. And I think nationally, people really loved that game because it was just such a David-Goliath matchup. And the Eagles just went completely all out and were insanely aggressive in their play call and going for it on fourth down the Philly special and just doing all crazy shit just to try to beat the Patriots. I mean, definitely uh, that's the, uh, another thing, like a great player, a great franchise can elevate your game. And we've seen it kind of time and time again. Um, and you look back like that. I think that's one of the big reasons the giants were able to win that Super Bowl. Like they l- ultimately lost week 17 uh, to new England but they played really, really well. They nearly ended their undefeated season there, and that kind of built up that confidence to be like, hey, like we are a player two away, and we've we've seen it before, and we've seen it with other teams. I mean, I think you can even look at that with the Bengals coming up in this Super Bowl. Like The Rams might have more overall talent. I mean, they have a ton of talent at the receiving core. Not that Cincinnati doesn't have some loaded players there, too. Uh, Their defensive line and such. But, like, what did the Bengals have to loot? Like, they took down Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They took down a a team that, you know, seemingly can score at will. So, we'll kind of see. Anyway... Typically, we talk baseball on the show a lot more. We talk about the hobby a lot more. But we've been doing a lot of football talk. Want to shift gears, uh, Ed? Major League Baseball locked out. Super frustrating. To this point, though, who cares? It's the off season. It's disappointing to have a baseball team you root for, such as the Philadelphia Phillies, who currently do not have a left fielder or center fielder. Uh, I think you and I are both going to potentially go try out for the team since there's no one to play left field or center field. But that's what happens during a lockout, freeze on all transactions. Kind of frustrating. But again, it's off season, out of sight, out of mind to a degree, right? We've been watching football. A lot of people are watching basketball or even hockey. But we're getting to the point. Super Bowl, two weeks away. Lockout still not resolved. Now they've been speaking. They've been conversing. I think there's been at least some movement. So that hopefully is positive. But if this isn't resolved in the next couple weeks, Super Bowl comes and goes, ends. Usually a lot of the hobby attention shifts to baseball. If all of a sudden pitchers and catchers aren't reporting, at least major leaguers, if the offseason isn't concluded, if we're going to start losing spring training games and then ultimately regular games, what kind of effect does that have on the hobby uh, baseball wise? And like, what kind of effect does that have on you personally? Is that going to change you wanting to buy cards? Is that going to kill your excitement? Is it going to make you angry or is it just a wait and see game at this point? It's just, it's, it's, it's insanely frustrating and it's annoying. It's frustrating. It's aggravating, whatever adjective you want to use i mean you could put it in there but um 
I mean, we're hardcore baseball uh, fans. Uh, so I, to me, I'm still going to be buying baseball cards. I'm still going to be watching baseball when it eventually comes back. But so I don't know if you can uh, use use us as a gauge to say, well, are you still going to buy baseball cards? Well, we, we definitely are. So I, I don't know what your, the general public, though, or the general your general person in the hobby who might be casual what they think uh because we're certainly i i would not consider myself a, a casual baseball fan but it's just really frustrating I, I wish they would hammer this stuff out uh you know the millionaires arguing with the billionaires it's it's the same old story i mean this has been going on and festering for years they they, they really need to get a longer deal uh put out they need to start you know, getting this stuff around because time is running out. You're right. It's it's the Super Bowl's in two weeks, spring training. We're going to be in February. Pitchers and catchers would normally be reporting the second or third week of February. So this is this is approaching really quickly, and we haven't heard any major progress other than a couple of days ago. I think ESPN reported that both sides agreed that they wouldn't institute a vaccine mandate. So apparently that was a big thing for the players. So there's that. Uh, but it seems like the main thing is the arbitration, uh, working out that. But come on, guys, like Tony Clark, the owners, the, the Players Association, just like it. All, all this noise, all this optically does not look good for the sport. Uh, it, it almost killed bait. I mean, a strike almost killed the sport in 94. Uh, when that happened. So, I mean, and that's when baseball was way more popular than it is now among the four major sports. So it's just not good. They really, really need to get this sorted out and this procrastination of, you know, we're going to have more talks. We're going to have more talks. Again, I don't want to sound negative, but it's just, it's just annoying that it just keeps being dragged out. The procrastination of the whole thing just, you know, sit down in a room, lock the door, and don't leave until you get the deal done. Yeah, figure it out. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Figure <laughs> it out. It's it, like you need to figure it out. Set a deadline, figure it the hell out. Like you have to be done. Like it's imperative for your sport to figure it out. Like you can't afford to lose any regular season games. You really can't afford to piss off the fans that you know, or booking trips to spring training. You need the attention. You need the bump, the post-Super Bowl bump. I mean, we can use the hobby as an example because baseball does see a bump after the Super Bowl. People will turn their attention and start picking up. They start thinking about baseball, and it's in a positive mindset. Like, you'll see prices spike for young players and active players. I mean, I'm sure some retired players get some attention too, but a lot of people are going, cool, spring's almost here. I have an optimistic view. I think my team can be pretty good this year. I think my team has a chance to win a championship or take a positive step. I think this player who I collect or these rookies that I'm interested in, like the slate is clean. So everyone's positive. And you can't afford to have negative uh, implications in your sport. And of course, you know, hobby-wise, we'll see. So it's going to be interesting to see how things develop. But they... I would hope that both sides are smart enough to realize how important it is. I personally think that the strike of 94 obviously did a lot of damage to the sport itself. 
But I really think you can kind of line that up uh, with the junk wax era. Of course, there are a bunch of factors, but I think that was a major factor in one of the collapses of the baseball card market back in the early 90s. And I think, uh, I don't know that it would be that severe this time. And I think certainly stuff like basketball and football have taken the hobby by storm. So it's not really all like the hobby used to be like a high percentage baseball oriented. And now I think baseball fans are loyal and I think baseball is still a major player, but I think the other sports have taken a portion of the collector's base, but I think it's pretty important for the hobby too. Um, so we'll see. I mean, obviously it's just a waiting game. We don't really know what's going to happen. Hopefully, in the next week or two, we will hear something, but it is definitely starting to get real where there's implications of delaying things and missing time. Cause you got to realize once a deal is done, like guys are going to have to find jobs and stuff. Like there is going to be some time. Um, it's going to take some time to do that. Yeah. That's a good point because like there wasn't really, I mean, there was a small window, but there wasn't really a traditional off season. So a lot of free agents haven't been signed. There's a lot of big name players that still haven't been signed. You know, there hasn't been the Phillies don't have an outfield other than Bryce Harper because they didn't make any moves prior to the lockout. So I mean, and I'm sure they're not the only team in that situation. And it's just really annoying that this keeps getting dragged down and procrastinating on when like I said, these they really need to figure it out and stop trying to be the first guy. I feel like both sides, it, it, it comes down to they want to wait to see which side blinks first instead of just, you know, finding a mutually agreeable compromise that benefits both sides. No, the other side wants to win. The owners want to win and the players want to win. You know, what happened to just finding a mutually agreeable compromise? It's annoying. No doubt about it. All right, let's shift gears. Let's talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame class Uh-oh. for 2022. Uh, they just announced in the last uh, week or so, David Ortiz, the only player voted in by the Writers Association. A little bit of a surprise. I think many people thought maybe no one would get in. I think it was easily easy to see in the last few weeks that if anyone got in it was probably going to be just david ortiz any uh any thoughts on big poppy being inducted being inducted in you know his initial appearance on the ballot man i don't think a lot of your your ratings might take a hit because people are not going to like my opinions for the hall of fame on going forward when we talk about anything related to the Hall of Fame. But I will say for David Ortiz, myself personally, I never really thought of him as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I, I kind of figured he would get in. He would definitely get in. I kind of figured he would get in maybe on his third, second, third, or fourth year on the ballot. Uh, the only reason I'm saying that I never thought of him as a first ballot is because he was a DH predominantly for his whole career. And it took forever for a DH to get in there. Edgar Martinez, I remember that was the knock on him for so many years. Well, he's a DH. He doesn't play the field. He's a one-dimensional player. Kind of like the uphill battle that closers had for such a long time getting into the ball. So I, kind of, I figured that Ortiz 
even though he has the Boston charm, even though he has so many big postseason moments and has kind of been a huge part for the Red Sox and their history, I kind of figured he would get in on the second or third, but I never really saw him as a first ballot guy, but he did get in. Um, not surprised that he is in the Hall of Fame because, I, like I said, I, I thought he would be a Hall of Fame caliber player, just not on the first ballot, but uh, he got in. So I really was thinking this year that Schillen would get – I was hoping Schillen would get in, but uh, anyone that's been following him uh, knew that there was no chance the writers were going to vote him in because of all the uh, – Stupid things that he has said outside of uh, outside the outside of baseball, and so that's that was not going to happen. Yeah, David Ortiz gets in. It is nice to see someone get in. I think part of me thought he would be, even though he's had the kind of light links to the PED stuff. No real concrete evidence. I know he was absolved from it, and they said you know. He was part of, he was named on one report, but it was before rule changes and it really, there was nothing conclusive. They didn't really even have what he tested positive for. So it kind of could have been anything, but I still kind of felt like in this era, he would be held off uh, from first ballot to second ballot, but I, I don't really have a problem either way. His numbers are hall of fame worthy. His dominance in the postseason, his clutch moments, uh, I just feel like, I don't know, I, maybe it's a changing of opinion now, but like the Hall of Fame is, it's an amazing place and I'm a Hall of Fame member and I try and go there almost every year. Uh, we both took a trip there this past summer. Um, and I think it's a special place. It's awesome. It's an amazing place that any baseball fan should go. It's a cool little town. There's a whole bunch of little hobby shops and baseball related, baseball themed stores and the museum's awesome. Like to see the history, uh, you have to remember it. Like the history of the game. Like there's Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Big Pot, all these guys, Kurt Schilling. They all have memorabilia in there from different moments. Really being in the Hall of Fame, that's just part of the plaques. Um, so it's not like certain guys aren't represented in there anyway. It represents the history of baseball, but it's just an amazing place to go, and it. You learn so much. You learn every time you go. Like to me, and I've been there a number of times, like five, six times. And like, I I learn more stuff, and I have things that you know you catch every time you go. So it's it's an awesome place, and it's special. But like, there's something that soured for me, kind of with the way things have developed and presented, and how frustrated people get with the whole voting. And I don't know what the answer is. And I'm not a steroid guy, and I'm not like a big Barry Bonds or Clemens guy, but when you do look at it, that the all-time hits leader, Pete Rose, not in the Hall of Fame, Barry Bonds, all-time home run leader, you know, whether you put an asterisk on that or not, not in the Hall of Fame, Roger Clemens, seven, like, it is weird. And I'm not a Pete Rose guy either. Like, I hear people, people are like, Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, actually, Pete Rose does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying Pete Rose shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame for his accomplishments. And if he gets in the Hall of Fame for the fans and makes the fans happy, it's cool. Pete Rose has done enough to, like, it's his own fault. Like, same, I feel the same way about Bonds and Clemens. If they get in, I don't really care at this point. I'm not, like, going to lose sleep either way. 
but I don't know if I'd say they deserve to be Hall of Famers. I think that's like the word that people use that kind of does annoy me a little bit, but it is frustrating with the way things have developed. The Kurt Schilling thing annoys me. Granted, you and me both watch Schilling pitch in Philadelphia with the Phillies, but like the matter of fact is like Kurt Schilling should be a Hall of Famer. He should be a Hall of Famer because he was, he helped in a large way carry the Phillies into the World Series in 1993, National League Championship MVP. He helped the Diamondbacks win the World Series against the Yankees. He helped the Red Sox win a few World Series. He had multiple 300 strikeout seasons. Like he compiled impressive career statistics. Like, dude's a Hall of Fame pitcher. He may be a jackass and he may speak his mind, which he has the right to speak his mind. Now, like, you can either agree or disagree or just think he's a dope. Like, I think I kind of wish he'd shut the hell up. And for the sole purpose of being elected to the Hall of Fame, because he should be a Hall of Fame, because he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. But, like, there's plenty of not good dudes or people who are outspoken or people who had viewpoints that people wouldn't agree with now in the Hall of Like, so it's just, it's it's frustrating, I think. And, like, the Hall of Fame should be a fun thing. Um, and relating to the hobby, like, I don't know. I know a lot of people like to buy cards and that's like that's like a whole nother level of prospecting people prospect like draft picks and some people like to prospect potential hall of famers and i know you're uh you're into that as well with your todd helton collection you've been building up but i guess the positive (laughs) thing is with the hall of fame thing even though there's the frustrating aspects of it to see a guy like scott Rowland who looks like he's in line to i think there's a very good chance he's elected next year and if not, he's almost a lock for the year after. But Todd Helton, he's continued to improve as well. So any thoughts on the guys that are getting more votes? And now maybe since some of these controversial guys are off and there's not a whole lot, really, the next couple years is kind of weak. I mean, this next year, I believe, is Carlos Beltran's a guy who's like a potential future Hall of Famer and by no means a guy who is going to maybe even get enough votes that first year. And the following year, I think, is even weaker. And then the year after that, I believe, is when we got Beltre and Joe Maurer and even a guy like Chase Utley who should get some consideration. But what do you think? Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, are we going to get like a more positive experience next year? You, We should definitely now that the steroid got – I mean that Clemens and Bonds are off. And honestly, like – it was interesting to see the reaction uh, from one the hobby and two the baseball fans and then three the general mainstream public because this story kind of like went to all three sectors. Uh, I mean, it was on you know the nightly news, the national nightly news that's on ABC or NBC or whatever uh, talking about this, but to me. I always, and again, I probably have an unpopular opinion on Bonds and Clemens since, well, I should say it shouldn't be an unpopular opinion. It was the dominant opinion for a long time that has kind of eroded over time. And my thoughts were always that I don't think Bonds and Clemens should be voted in by the writers. I think the, their peers should decide. I think the players, I think players that played the game that are in the Hall of Fame, they should decide if Barry Bonds and if Roger Clemens should be in the Hall of Fame, it shouldn't be up to the writers because what Bonds and Clemens did, 
I mean, they use PEDs. It should be up to, you know, other Hall of Famers to decide if they want them in the Hall of Fame. And then I hear people say, well, they're not represented. They're just trying to erase that history. I'm like, we've been to the, we've been to Cooperstown. Barry Bonds has memorabilia in the museum. Roger Clemens has memorabilia in the museum. That error is represented. And there's a whole negative section in the Hall of Fame, like presenting the negative aspects of baseball history. Like there's literally a section about, it's a small section, but it's about the 94 strike. And you walk right down the hallway, there's a whole section about the steroid era and steroids and PEDs. So it's not like the Hall of Fame is ignoring that. I think eventually, I I do believe that Bonds and Clements will get in. And I think the major reason why they're going to get in is because the older guard of of the Hall of Fame, you know, the Frank Robinsons, the Hank Aarons, the Joe Morgans, they're dying off. And though like Hank Aaron and Joe Morgan were both on record saying that Barry Bonds should not be in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, that that carries weight. That carries a lot of weight when and people could be like, well, they're just bitter. They're just angry old men. But, you know, their words mean more to me than, you know, myself or, uh, you know, a sports writer or a random fan like their their words carry weight. So, again, I think their peers should decide. And they're going to be on the they're going to have an opportunity to get in this year, I think, at the end of the year with one of the committees. So we'll see if they get in by by their peers. And I think that's the way they should do it. As for Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, uh, very pleased at the progress they are making. And it always annoyed me. Like I've been on the Todd Helton train for like two to three years now. Um, really, really talking a lot about him. I always thought it was insanely unfair that Todd Helton gets penalized for playing at Coors Field. You know, not everyone that played at Coors Field was good. I mean, look at all the Rockies players that have been, you know, disappointments or have fizzled out. You know, Todd Helton was very consistent for a really long time, put up a lot of great numbers. We shouldn't penalize him because if we played at Coors Field, the Hall of Fame writer certainly didn't penalize Jim Rice for playing at Fenway. So we shouldn't penalize Todd Elton for playing at Coors Field. So that's always the way I kind of felt about it. And I'm glad to see that. I think he got 50% or a little over 50%. So he's definitely trending towards getting in, which is good. Scott Rowland, like you were saying, Mike, I think in a year or two, he, he should get in. Um, and that's good. Cause I always considered him to be a hall of fame player. He'll probably go in as a Cardinal. I would assume um, and then I will say the one thing as a Phillies fan that was a, was a little disappointed was I was a little disappointed at, at Jimmy Rollins only getting 9%. Um, to me, I, I felt like Jimmy Rollins is definitely, and again, I've talked about this before. I, I, I don't know if I'm biased. I don't know if I'm looking at it with my Phillies glasses on, but. I always felt Jimmy Rollins was a Hall of Famer. He's the all-time Phillies hits leader, and the Phillies aren't a franchise like, the, like the Rays or like the Marlins who have, or the Rockies who've only been around since like the early '90s. I mean, 
the Phillies have been around since the 1800s. So that is a really huge history right there. And MVP winner, gold gloves, all-star appearances. Uh, you know, his numbers are very comparable to Barry Larkin. And I know some people get really, really uh, bent out of shape when it's said, especially if you're in the Hall of Fame and you're looking at Barry Larkin's plaque and uh, you make that comment and someone will, someone will want to bop you on the head. But it's the truth. Like, their numbers are pretty comparable. Barry Larkin just has a higher band average by, I think, like 20 or 30 points. But otherwise, they're pretty comparable. Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of these guys have had, like, Rollins – he has a lot of different aspects of what he did with baser. And that's a thing. A lot of people get caught up on the offense of like home runs, RBIs, batting average, and they don't necessarily look at sabermetric stuff, which Rollins isn't super strong on, but a lot of people ignore defense. They ignore base running, which Rollins is really strong on both of them. And like, I consider like moments and place in history. I actually feel like, and I think you, develop and evolve in different ways i actually am starting to become more of like a moments and like impact on the game and this is through talking to other people too like i think there's a lot of other guys who deserve more consideration and like i guess the numbers are one aspect but like your impact on the game like i hear people and i heard a lot of people argue against roger maris with the veterans committee i'm like dude if you ask nine out of ten people on the street who don't necessarily follow baseball hardcore. I guarantee most people think Roger Maris is a Hall of Famer. And like, I get it. He didn't do it for 15 years or whatever, but he, it's not like he did, only had one good year. You can say the same thing with, with a guy like Don Mattingly. Okay. You know, he had an injury and offensively somewhat fizzled out and he didn't have a super lengthy career, but he was pretty dominant for a few years offensively unbelievably popular made a major impact on a lot of baseball fans and i think sometimes things like that are forgotten and in the case of jimmy rollins and national league mvp made a huge impact on a big time phillies team there for five years won a world series and such a big time leader and i think some of that gets lost and i think that's something even with scott Rowland that got lost a little bit like people look at his offensive number it's like well i mean he's one of the five best defensive third basemen of all time that counts a lot. He was a fantastic base runner, not a guy who would steal 50 bases a year, hard-nosed player. I think those are all aspects that make a guy um, a Hall of Fame caliber player. So, I mean, it's not everything. There's a lot of guys that are hard-nosed that, you know, aren't necessarily Hall of Famers, but I think a lot of people take a very narrow look at it. And a lot of people don't even watch the games. They literally don't. I know that's a saying you use all the time, but a lot of people, and I will say, cause I know a lot of people are huge baseball fans and a lot of them are dorks and nerds. They really are. And like, I, I don't mean that to be like mean or like to talk down on people, but I know a lot of people who are supposedly the biggest baseball fans in the world, but like they literally barely watch the games and they're obsessed with the statistics. I'm like, watch the game and see how the player, what kind of impact he has beyond just the statistics. And I think, I think there's a lot of people who don't do that. And I think that's why some players do get overlooked sometimes. So I don't know. We'll see how things evolve and change. Um, before we wrap up the hall of fame talk though, uh, veterans committee also, uh, announced and 
a bunch of deserving guys. It was awesome to see six guys get in. Gil Hodges, Jim Cott, Minnie Minoso, Tony Oliva, Bud Fowler, Buck O'Neill, all deserving, all been waiting far too long, but also very disappointing to see Dick Allen, um, who was kind of overlooked for quite a while, uh, not get in. It's going to be a long wait once again. And again, you can't, only six guys, I believe, were going to most likely get in uh, based on the votes. Maybe, I think, if you split something, maybe Allen could have gotten in. He was one vote short again. But it's kind of frustrating the way these things happen because I felt like most people thought he would get in. And unfortunately, with the voting, it seems like politics come in and not politics um, for like parties, but people having influence. Oh, they have a grudge or they dislike someone, so they try and spread their influence. And I think that's one of the things that is frustrating and annoying with the Hall of Fame. So I'll just leave it at that. If you have any comments on that, cool. If not, we can move on. No, but that that really the Veterans Committee thing really, really got me mad because I mean, you go on social media, you go wherever, and everyone had, like, the number one lock was Dick Allen. Like, pretty much every prognosticator had Dick Allen get it in. He was definitely going to be one of the guys out of the list of names who definitely made it in. And yet again, not really surprisingly, he comes up one vote short. Uh and I just find the whole thing so petty, so ridiculous that he did not get in. Uh, again, people will talk about Bonds and Clemens, you know, the, the the pettiness there. But to me, Dick Allen takes it to a whole nother level with just the absolute politics, the backdoor stuff, the just, 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 just like five, six decade old grudge that they have against the man. It's just really, really, really ridiculous. And, uh, you know, there's a, our friend Ray from Philly, uh, he, he's told us all about the, you know, the groups out there on Facebook that are really, uh, that were making the push for Dick Allen to be in the hall of fame. I think the guy that, you know, the main guy that runs it, that's close with Dick Allen's family, uh, Mark, uh, Carfagno, who used to be the groundskeeper, uh, for the Phillies. So. He's really close to a lot of the goings on uh, behind the scenes for the for that particular vote, and you know some of the stuff we were hearing from that is it's just just so petty and so ridiculous that they just keep finding a way to screw this man over. Between when Mike Schmidt, you know, basically begged uh, in 2020 for them to hold the vote because Dick Allen was getting really sick was on his last leg and then they push it back to 2021 and you know obviously Dick Allen passed away because he, he, he was very sick very sickly and uh he still comes up one vote short I mean even in death they're still giving this guy the finger and in the past like anyone who would be one vote short got in on the next ballot and it didn't happen this time but it's nothing you can change now, nothing we can control. We'll just see what happens when uh, they reconvenient in like six years or something. I know it's a bit of a wait. Ed, we are approaching the one hour mark, but we still got a little bit we still got a little bit more to do. So we'll go through this fairly quickly, but the market has been nuts for a couple years. 
it looks like it's normalizing a little bit now. It's not necessarily back to normal. The floor is definitely a little higher, but you can kind of get some retail now if you want it. Not necessarily easy, but it's not impossible. You're seeing stuff like Mosaic Basketball, Topps Chrome Update, Baseball, sit on Target's website for hours and days at times. So you can actually buy some retail. Granted, the prices have risen. They've been raised from what they were a year or two ago. Hobby prices have come down a little bit for wax. Now it's still incredibly high for basketball and football. Baseball is still high. It's still more expensive than it used to be, but it is somewhat more affordable. And some of the crazy prices on certain cards have come down as well. What's the mind frame in the hobby for you as we see a more normal market? Is it positive? Are you happy um, to be able to afford some stuff now? Are you sad because you didn't sell some of your investments earlier? Uh, what are your <laughs> thoughts? Are you rejoicing in seeing others that you know aren't really collectors you know, disappointed um, and taking advantage of them dumping their portfolios of cards and you introducing those cards into your collection? What, what's the mind frame for you as the market for sports cards begins to normalize? I think a lot of people got weeded out, in all honesty. I think a lot, I mean, we help in our area, in our corner of the hobby, uh, you know, the Philadelphia area. We've seen lines out the door at Target and Walmart, you know, at six in the morning, people pulling up all their cars to get, you know, whatever is being stocked, you know, people following the vendors, you know, just all that idiocy, all that craziness that was going on in the retail side of things in the hobby and i think like you mentioned a lot of we're going back to things are normalizing things are getting a lot better i mean certain products you're still not going to be able to find like you're not going to be able to find prison basketball on the shelves or prison football whenever that comes out uh or select stuff like that but things are getting a lot better you're starting to see products now uh grown men aren't throwing fisticuffs in the parking lot to uh, to get some blasters. So, you know, things are definitely getting better. I think a lot of people who were coming in for the quick flip uh, to make some easy money because uh, it was there for a long time, uh, I think a lot of them have gotten weeded out. And the ones who are still around uh, in that type of mindset have adapted to the changes and uh, they're continuing. Um uh, and for me personally, uh, I'm I'm thrilled at what's going on. Uh, we're starting to get product back on shelves. It's easier to buy stuff. Um, prices are prices are pretty affordable uh, on the secondary market for certain things to pick up for the collection. Uh, certain things are getting a little crazy. You know, trying to buy Juan Soto cards is getting more and more difficult as the days go. But um, things are going good. Yeah, and I mean, I think things are normalizing, but the market and the hobby is still strong. Philly show coming up in about a month or so, and I fully anticipate it being overloaded with dealers, but also overloaded with buyers, overloaded with collectors in there. I think the collector's base has continued to grow. I think it's been growing for years, and I think a lot of people came back and stayed, um, but I think they're 
more so the people who are collector based. And that doesn't mean you can't like invest in some cards and you can't buy and sell some cards, but the guys who literally had no interest in the hobby itself and no real interest in the cards outside of the financial gain, I think, as you mentioned, have been weeded out to a degree, not completely. Um, I think a lot of people who spend a lot of money for bots are probably ticked off that, you know, their bots aren't paying for themselves anymore. But I mean, I, I think that's a good thing. Ultimately, if you have an increased amount of people interested in the hobby, involved in the hobby, I, I think that's good for everyone. And it's definitely still enjoyable, a lot of fun to me right now. You know, I'm just hoping that this baseball lockout is wrapped up and we have a reason to be excited for baseball season. And as usual, I'm fired up. I mean, two weeks from now, a little over two weeks from now, 2022 top series one comes out. I look forward to it every year. Sure. I look forward to the rookies this year highlighted by Wander Franco. Some will consider it a rookie. Some may not, but I think the masses will still go wild for it. And I don't know who else will be in there, but I do know I look forward to the checklist. I look forward to seeing what Phillies base cards are made, adding those to the collection. Like those are the meaningful things for me, you know, adding, adding to my tops all time team set. Um, and you know, I look forward to other products as well. And I like getting rookie cards and I like collecting some of the stars in the game like Mike Trout and even Juan Soto even though I give you a hard time from time to time with Mr. Soto your your beloved Soto your favorite player of all time hands down <laughs> but I, th- I think the hobby's in a good spot and I think that's fun and enjoyable and something to be excited about I I agree I mean you talked you talked about card shows card shows are still thriving in our in our area uh don't know about other areas, but the mall shows are still doing really good around here. Philly show, always busy. They added more tables. I mean, they added about like 25 to 50 more tables, and it's a, it's getting pretty packed in there. It's getting pretty tight in there. Uh, you know, the third-party graders now, you know, things are looking good there. I mean, prices actually might be coming down now that PSA is going to be you know, trying to get a lower price bulk, um, you know, they reopen other services. So, you know, when PSA is going to reopen services that the other third party graders are going to have to go offer a more better rate to try to entice more people to send to them. So I, I think 2022 is, is looking good. It's looking strong. Well, like we said at the beginning of the show, it's been six months since I got an episode of Hobby Talk. It's been a long time since I had Ed on. My intention is to get him up way more often. I hope it will be more than six months before I'll talk to you all again. And hopefully Ed will be on as a uh, featured guest very often. Please comment down in the description um, to tell Ed you want him back uh, more often. We'll see if we can uh, work him into the rotation a little more frequently but before we officially wrap things up just a few things to touch on since it's been so long and we never really gave our opinions at least on this show about it state of grading ed right now just real quick like at least in the course of the last year like how do you think psa's done how do you think sgc's done csg like in your mind which companies have risen fallen do you have a positive or negative kind of thought process on as of now with how they've performed in the last year 
I will say, I feel like a lot of people have been ragging on PSA because of all the issues that have been going on with, you know, the, the group bulk submitters, uh, all that drama aside. I feel like PSA has done, all things considered, they've done a pretty good job clearing the backlog, getting orders out. You know, I really, I really truly believe that a lot of people really don't get the magnitude of the situation that PSA was in with that insane backlog that they got, that they had. And a lot of people might think, you know, that's a good problem to have uh, when Nat Turner took over. But logistically, PSA was not equipped to handle that number of backlog. So them shutting down, them trying to clear out this backlog. There's always so many hours in the day, so many hours in the week to try to get all these cards graded. I feel in the situation that they were presented in, I feel like they have done a good job. I feel like they're positioned better now that they have a robust grading staff. So um, I feel like they've been doing good. Uh, again, they I feel like they've been getting some criticism that's not warranted. Uh, certainly, I mean, I've been critical of PSA in the past. I'm not one, I'm not one to be shy about giving my opinion on them, but uh, I want to be, I want to be fair. And I think they've done pretty well. Uh, as for the other third party graders, I would say leaps and bounds SGC had the best year out of all the third party graders in 2021 uh, going into 2022. Uh, they, they're. I see their slabs everywhere now. They're, they're at card shows. They're, they're. I think they're getting more hits than PSA actually. Uh, more listings on eBay. Like their slabs are everywhere. They're really showing a strong presence. Uh, so it's really great to see that because I know both of us have been advocating for SGC, like for people and collectors to use them. Uh, because they're a good viable option and you know i don't want a monopoly on grading i don't want there to be one grader who controls everything with an iron fist i believe that there should be diversity i believe that there should be multiple options out there for collectors to choose from and i want all these companies to push each other to become better than they are and uh, that was always one of the big things that i said about sgc i said I want SGC to be very successful because I want them to push PSA. I want them to push BGS so that they all become good, competitive, and ultimately that benefits us, the consumers, the collectors in the hobby. So what's what's not to uh, what's not to like? Uh, BGS, boy, oh boy, they've had a rough go of it. I won't even really touch on them too much, but. It's, it's all right. They're crazy. taking a nap still. So <laughs> it's kind of insane. I mean, it's really, really insane how uh, much they've been having issues uh, and just have fallen behind on things. Uh, so, I mean, that's been wild. And then CSG, you know, a lot. I, I like CSG. I, I've said it before, really like their grade and like their service. I think they're definitely going to carve out a section for people to send for the bulk economy because their rates are just are, are really, really affordable for the bulk economy. And I do believe that they're going to carve out a good uh, portion for the 
more of the value box, lower end cards uh, to get graded. But, uh, you know, also maybe the vintage side of things. But do like CSG. Um, they, they, did, they did good, but they still have quite a long way to go, in my opinion, especially with secondary values. Their, their, their slabs are just dirt cheap. Like, I've been picking up a lot of their stuff for just, you know, peanuts uh, out there, even for bins, even for buy it now. It, it, it's been relatively cheap. And um, I will say, it, it, the one criticism that, that I did have a CSG was when we sent our submission off, it just took forever for them to process it. I think now that they, they've gotten the process a little better, but I think it took like two and a half, three months to process the order. And that's not even in the grading phase. So it took quite a while. So they, they definitely were slow getting out of the gate, but I think they're, they're starting to find their legs. And then who else do we got? We got GMA. GMA is in probably a whole different tax bracket now. I forgot about them. Um, <laughs> they're probably in a whole different, I mean, literally, I, I don't want to sound like I'm ragging on them, but, because uh, I know there's people in the community that, that do really like GMA, but literally it was a guy in his basement. And now I'm pretty sure that guy, he, he's not in a basement no more. He's probably in like a, uh, a compound or a mansion or something, but uh, they're definitely up a couple tax brackets, GMA. They're doing quite well for themselves. And uh, then you got HGA, which uh, HGA, I, they're polarizing uh, for whatever reason, like, I see very strong opinions on them. Like they have their their legion of diehards on Facebook, but then they also have like people who venomously can't stand them. So it's just like a kind of a tug of war between the two groups. Uh, so there's that. That's, I feel like I touched on all of them. Yeah, I think PSA's brand is as strong as ever. I think as someone who's submitted with them a lot over the years, I think unfortunately they've priced a lot of collectors out for sure. Investors, people with an expensive card that they want to flip, sure, it's strong. It can, if it grades well enough, increase the price. Uh, it's still, it's to me a little off-putting as a customer to see them offering the $50 90-day guaranteed submissions when I'm still waiting for some cards that have been out since the year 2020 and it's currently the year 2022. Um, but that's just me. I know I'm in the minority because most people are just blind loyalty towards what card has the highest value um, in a slab. Uh, SGC to me is, has had a tremendous year, like you mentioned. I think they are clearly the number two choice right now. If you did a power rankings, I, I think it'd be very hard um, to dispute that uh, with any kind of numbers. I think BGS has literally fallen asleep and it's amazing uh, I think they've done damage to their brand with by not kind of getting out in front of things and either clearing a backlog or creating some sort of affordable system or submissions. Like they literally are becoming irrelevant by being completely irresponsive. Uh, CSG, I think, has garnered respect from a lot of people. And I think their harsh grading has been a turnoff to some. But I think people who really know cards know that they are a great value to buy right now. I do think their biggest flaw, many would say, is the flip. I think their biggest flaw was taking and using the Beckett grading scale. I, I think that was a mistake. I think that was a huge mistake. They should have done the PSA or the SGC scale because people love 10s. So 10 should be your gem mint, not a 9.5. But 
I guess it's too late for that. I, I'm sure they could course correct. I doubt they will, but I think that was a problem. And I think GMA is there for the budget collectors who just want slabs in a timely fashion. I think HGA has probably reached and left its peak. Uh, they did garner a lot of attention. Their slabs are fantastic, and their slabs and their labels look really nice, but... I don't think they're getting a whole lot of respect, and it'll just be interesting to see how long they're around. Ed, before we wrap things up, a couple other topics to jump on, just with kind of quicker answers. Uh, 2001 National, it was hyped up. Was it all you had hoped it could be? How would you describe it? Like, what what are your lasting memories of the 2021 National in Chicago? Definitely lived up to the hype was incredible, was unlike any national I've ever been to. It was quite the experience. What was better, the card show or the uh, the sandwich shop or whatever? What was that place you kept going to? You kept taking like an Uber Portillo's. every couple hours to? Portillo's. Thanks to Stokes family, Mark, showing me that gem of a place. 2022 National Atlantic City. Besides the fact that it's right down the road from us, you know, it's Quick ride from Philadelphia. What are you most anticipating and looking forward to at the 2020 National Sports Collectors Convention? Uh, just meeting up with everyone, uh, touching base with everyone in the community, hanging out, um, showing people around Atlantic City, I guess. And I don't know, are the Phillies here that weekend or the, that week? It'd be cool to bring everyone to a Phillies game potentially. Yeah, you heard it. Ed hosting. A Phillies hangout at the 2022 National Suite provided by Wesker Griff, LLC. <laughs> no, like the National's is. just going to be a blast. You look forward to it every year. And like you said, it's all about the people. It's all about the community. It's hanging out with everyone and enjoying that amazing experience. The cards, of course, are what bring us together. It's going to be awesome to go there. Maybe we can even open some stuff. It'll be awesome to pick up cool stuff for the collection, but hanging out with everyone is amazing. When Fanatics first got all those licensing, how was your feeling? Like, were you sick to your stomach? Did you not care? Did you not even know about it? And Before they bought Tops? Oh, before. When that initial news broke. Oh, I was, I was pissed. I was really pissed. I was just like, I was more mad when Fanatics got baseball than when they got the football and the basketball. When they got baseball, I'm like, what do you mean there's going to be no more tops? Like, there's 70 years of history here. You're just going to throw that away? Like, are you serious? I was – I was. <laughs> you remember from the group chats, I was having kind of like a uh, – uh, Meltdown? A, a little panic attack. Like, this is 70 years of history that we're throwing away? Seriously? When uh, I saw that in a group chat, and then I saw other stuff, like, I was working at the time, and I remember looking, seeing on my phone, and having, like, a pit in my stomach. Like, what? And not knowing what the future held. And I think the most disappointing part was not knowing. But now that we know, now that we really did end up with the best-case scenario, if that was going to happen fanatics buying tops purchasing the brand and the fact that we know we're going to continue to get tops baseball cards and even you know another great thing in the future tops basketball if you're a basketball collector tops football which i used to be uh, and i look forward to doing again i mean how satisfying was that and like how much did that 
make you happy and kind of feel good about the future of the hobby when like you realized, all right, cool. They're continuing the iconic brand. Yeah. It went from the lowest of lows to like urethra, like, Oh my God, this is incredible. Like, thank God they bought tops. Thank God tops didn't like stubbornly just be like, no, we're not selling. We're just going to sell Bundesliga league and MLS and star Wars. Like thankfully they, they, recognized the situation and were absorbed by fanatics so now we're and now that fanatics has basketball and football hello tops chrome football hello tops chrome basketball that's back in the fold and i mean it kind of worked out the best case scenario for uh for the hobby for collectors unless you're like a diehard panini prism or panini select person and because now that's gone because you're not going to get that but I'm just as a baseball, predominantly baseball. I'm just thrilled that Tops is still going to be around, still going to be producing their sets, and we don't have to worry about. Oh man, no more, no more Tops cards anymore for baseball. Like, just thinking about it, it's weird, but thankfully we're going to have it. I agree. It was definitely the best case scenario, and uh, thrilled that happened. I appreciate everyone taking time out of their day to listen to the show. Those who stayed with us for the entire hour and 20 minutes, super shout out to you. Thank you. Uh, If you're listening on SoundCloud or Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever this is airing, because it's airing all over, uh, make sure you check out the YouTube channels. I'm Mike O. Just go over to YouTube, type in Mike O. You can check out my channel. I do grading reveals, mail days. All kinds of stuff, showing off parts of the collection, uh, and it's fun, and it's a fun community with a ton of different channels out there, and one of the channels you can check out is Wesker Griff, another fantastic channel, um, a collector who's been showing off and sharing his collection for like 10 years on YouTube, so Ed, uh, what do you show off on your channel besides you know your amazing uh, Juan Soto investment? <laughs> Pretty much mail day videos. I've been doing mail day videos for so long. They're kind of the staple. I love documenting my collection and just what I'm, I always say, I, well, I always tend to say what I pay for stuff in videos. So for me, it's a great way to document the collection, to go back and see what I paid for certain things. And because you forget prices sometimes on some of the mundane things, but it's just good to go back and see. Uh, also, you know, Philly's obviously Philly fan. So Phillies, Sixers, Eagles, Flyers, uh, I'm kind of scattered with the way I collect. I pick up a lot of different things, non-sports, Game of Thrones, you know, put together some Game of Thrones sets, uh, autograph cards. And of course, uh, the fixation in the last two and a half, three years, well, three years about has been Juan Soto. So I've been picking up a lot of Juan Soto stuff here and there, but. Yeah, you'll see a bunch of that on the channel, some collection videos, some showcases, and uh, some random hobby thought videos and stuff like that. I, I try to keep it loose on the channel. And it's definitely a fun, fun watch. Once again, appreciate everyone listening. Ed, thank you again for joining me. Until next time, this is Hobby Talk with Mike O. Peace. Peace.